Recovery yeah. is all about sleep, stress <laughs> management, yeah. nutrition, and not going in for gimmicks. Well, you know, today I think I'll chop wood instead of running it. It's not that wild. Like, like and in fact, it's almost as if there's a plan. It's just not written down. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Christian Ultra Podcast. You're listening to Christian Morgan, your host. That was Matt Fitzgerald, who is my guest today on the show. Uh, It's a great, uh, great conversation between the two of us. Uh, Matt is an epic, epic writer and endurance athlete. He's got over 20 books out there published, which you can buy. Go and and have a look at those and about endurance, even some uh, books about diet. I'm currently listening to Diet Cults on audio. Um, So, uh, yeah, uh, Matt has uh, run marathons over 40 times. He's a 239 marathon runner. He's an awesome person. I really warmed to him and I look forward to talking to him again in the future. So, guys, please enjoy my conversation as I did with Matt Fitzgerald. Uh, My guest is Matt Fitzgerald and he's right here with me now. So welcome, Matt. It's great to be with you, Christian. Well, uh, you know, I really appreciate your time coming onto the show, and uh, I'm looking forward to hearing all about you. Do you want to let the listeners know what part of the world you're in, and um, and so on? So, because we're over here in England, right? Uh, So I'm coming at you from California, the northern part of the state, Uh, same latitude as San Francisco, but inland toward uh, Yosemite National Park. And it is 6.04 a.m. here on a Monday. <laughs> what, what's the temperature, man? What, any idea? Uh, about? I, I, you know, we, we've been getting um, frosts lately, which, you know, we usually get no more than a handful per winter here, but we're off to a cold start. So um, yesterday at about this time, it was 30 degrees Fahrenheit. You'll have to translate to Celsius for me. Um, so it's probably about that now, just below freezing. So yeah, maybe minus one, I guess. Oh, wow. I never realized um, it got that cold in California, but I guess it's a pretty diverse state. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's not all beaches, uh, but this is about as cold as it gets. I mean, I, I've lived here for um, more than 10 years and we've never had snow. Never. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, it, it's pretty cold here as well. It's kind of similar. It kind of feels weird to think that the temperature is the same as California. I'm going to use that as yeah. a joke. Which <laughs> um, hey, Matt, you, you've, how many marathons um, have you run in total? Um, I don't actually count them. It no? depends a bit how you count as well. I mean, do these yeah. virtual things everyone's doing now <laughs> count? Yeah, um, yeah, I know what you mean, yeah. But, um, you know, somewhere around 50, yeah. I guess. I, I want to give the listeners an idea of kind of your, you know, your, um, your hard work. So th- let's go through the numbers, you know, just so people have an idea of w- your ability as an athlete. What's your kind of fastest personal uh, record in the marathon? Uh, 239.30. And Chicago, Chicago, 2017. I did that at age 46. So that, that was, I think my 41st ish marathon. Uh, so I, that, that came, you know, I mean, the time is the time, uh, that's impressive yeah. to some people, not so impressive to others, but to, to me, it was very satisfying because it came nine years after my previous PR. 
so that yeah. that that PR was that PB was showing some age, and uh, it was it was really a, a sweet moment to to break it after all that time. Do do you think? Because I know what preempted the. Uh, do you want to uh, just briefly talk about actually how you got that PR at that age? Because the where you went and who you spent time with. Right. Um, yeah. So it's funny. You know, I've I've been a runner since I was a kid, and. Um, and I knew I was going to start slowing down at some point. And, you know, after 40, I'd always wanted to run a, under two hours and 40 minutes for the marathon. It just never came together, you know, largely due to injuries and maybe some, I was a bit of a head case too. Um, and, and then, so I sort of, I let it go. Um, but then I, you know, in my mid uh, approaching my mid forties, I got healthy again and, um, and then got this idea in my head to, um, live an entire summer as a fake professional runner. So, you know, in my mid forties, as someone who was never good enough to be pro, even in his twenties, I wanted to find out, uh, sort of allow, cause a lot of runners have this fantasy or a lot of athletes, whatever their sport is, you know, what would it be like to go pro? Uh, you know, what if I had a shoe contract and could quit my job and just focus on it and see how good I could be. So I'd gotten to the point in my running life where it was more about just adventures like that necessarily than, than getting faster. Yeah. Um, so I was able to line it up. I went to Flagstaff, which is a high elevation training mecca in uh, Arizona here in the U.S., and uh, trained in an, uh, for 13 weeks with the Northern Arizona Elite, uh, a Hoka-sponsored team. Um, and uh, it was really about, you know, just uh, sharing the well, living experience and then sharing it through writing. Um, but yes, it turned out that I made a tremendous progress as a runner, so we reversed the clock and, and came out. Of, I was able to run the Chicago Marathon in the elite division. Yeah, uh, some strings some strings were pulled for me. I certainly didn't have the credentials. Uh, so that in alone, even if I had <laughs> DNF'd, it would have been an amazing experience. But right. I came out of it with a with a PR, as I said. And what was your um, personal or your fastest time before you spent time with this elite group? It was almost exactly two minutes slower to two forty one twenty nine, I think. And and how many years prior again? Just remind me. Nine. Wow, Nine. So that's so yeah. impressive. What a what an a what an achievement. You know, also in your mid forties, because that will definitely inspire people out there in their mid forties who say, oh, "It's not possible anymore." Well, you've proved it is. You know? so, yeah, I mean, there there are plenty of people who run their fastest marathon at forty six, as I did, but I, I don't know of a single other person who PR'd at forty six who started running at eleven did their first marathon at 28 had run 40 marathons up to that point and whose previous best was nine years old. And it's not like I quit. I kept running marathons during those nine years. So yeah, those, I, I truly did think it was impossible as someone who's very knowledgeable of, of this of sport, you know, the physiology, what aging does to the body. I did not think it was possible. So yeah. Uh, pretty cool. <laughs> Let's go back. Um, you just mentioned when you were 11 and I was reading about, you were writing about your first um, experience of endurance and, and the feeling of pain, but the ability of the mind to push through that to the other side. How did that impact your life and uh, talk about that experience? Yeah. I mean, it's one of those, you know, there, there are certain moments in life when you, when you experience just a completely novel sensation. Um, and those things tend to form, those experiences tend to form powerful memories. And for me, it was uh, in, in the fifth grade uh, here in 
uh, the U.S. educational system. Uh, so I would have been, um, uh, yeah, 11 years old about. And uh, it was, you know, uh, it was a school field day. So it was just like a little Olympics for, it was sort of a rite of passage before the fifth graders graduated and, and went and advanced to uh, junior high school. Yeah. Um, and there was a, 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 a one mile-ish run. It was like four laps around a, a football pitch. Um, and, uh, and, you know, kids r- love to run, but they sprint, you know, they never run, try to run far. And a mile is much further than any 11 year old kid. is just going to like, you know, you don't challenge your neighbor to a race, you know, it's to the next mailbox, right? <laughs> not, to, <laughs> not a mile. So, you know, we all take off flying, but then it's not over and you've got to keep going and you start to feel miserable in these ways that you have absolutely no experience of it in your 11 years on earth, you know, just that, you know, that, you know, that kind of raking sensation in your esophagus, you know, just you're hyperventilating and, uh, you know, you're, you get that lactic acid burn in, in your legs and it just keeps going and going. It's like, you feel like you're dying, like you're just boiling alive and all you're doing is running. Um, and I, I won the race, you know, cause I, I had a, you know, a little bit of talent as a runner. It's not as if, you know, future Olympians were in that, <laughs> that small field of fifth graders. Um, but that experience really stuck with me because I felt like, you know, it wasn't so much being fast that allowed me to win the race, but it was just putting up with the pain. Um, yeah. and I've, you know, all these decades have passed and I still feel the same way. <laughs> no, it, it, it's, uh, it's, it, it's such an insight at such a young age. I, I think that's pretty amazing. Um, and, and, and you're not just, um, you know, an athlete, an endurance athlete, you're also a writer. So um, I hope you've kept count of how many books you've written. <laughs> you I haven't. I haven't. Someone told me in an, another recent interview that it's 28. With I've got a, a new one that comes out next week, as a matter of fact. So I think that that is number 28. But that also depends a bit on how you count, because yeah. one of them is just a training diary. Okay, yeah. It's like I wrote an introduction to it. <laughs> uh, another, you know, a couple others, a few others are co-authored. Um, so yeah, but it's a lot of books. A lot of books. Yeah. No. Um, and, and the most, um, and so, yeah, just to mention, to highlight that. So th- the experience that you had in Flagstaff, you writ that was, you read about that. And the, the name of that book is what is the name of that book? That one's called running the dream. And then the subtitle, cause it's long, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, one summer living and training with a team of world-class athletes, half my age. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So a- anyone um, who wants to go in depth about that, go and get that book. And then, you know, have you written about, have I got this right? Is it um, your first experience of that um, mental strength? Have you written about that? Was that um, emphasized in a book, you know, you, your, your journey? Um, yes. I mean, it's something I've touched upon, uh, in, in a variety of places, um, in the, the introduction to how bad you want it. I talk about uh, my high school running experience where, um, you know, I discovered that I was mentally weak or (laughs) basically a a head case where, um, I became one of the better runners in the small state I grew up in. Um, was at the level where I should have been competing for individual state titles. Um, and, you know, getting to that level was not hard at all. Um, I just had, had, like I said, a little bit of talent and, uh, you know, you, you train. But then I found to make that leap from one of the best to the best, 
I had to simply uh, suffer more <laughs> than I had up to that point. And I wasn't willing to do it. Um, I, I just developed kind of a toxic relationship with uh, those sensations of, you know, just intense discomfort. I, I, I got to dread them so much that I would just be, I would be paralyzed by nervousness like wow. three days before a race to the point where I couldn't even concentrate in my school classes, you know? Um, and I ended up, um, just doing some kind of shameful things like faking injuries. Like I intentionally missed the start to a race and then ultimately quit running. Uh, I, I had intended to run in college. I was recruited to run in college, but uh, I decided, you know what? Um, no more. I, I've had enough. Uh, so well, I, I never expected to get back into running later. Um, and so when I did, um, not only did I want to, um, you know, uh, make up for lost time or, you know, fulfill the potential I felt I had left unrealized, but I really wanted to become mentally stronger. And that, that's why it's one of the reasons I, I keep coming back to the subject. My, my new book that comes out next week is uh, it's called the comeback quotient. Um, yeah. It's on the same, same topic because I, I've, I've lived the importance of it. And I, I understand as well as any runner, how difficult it can be to, to master uh, the psychological dimension of running. Yeah, I, I can empathize with you about that, that dreaded fear, fear, um, feeling of horror, when you're about to do say, <laughs> 5k race, because we have something over here in the UK called um, park run. And it's yep. a free uh, park run of uh, it, and it's 5k on Saturday mornings at 9am. And just the night before the feeling I, I had to almost prepare myself mentally the night before that I'm going to run. And I would have these same feelings of horror and, and fear. <laughs> and eventually I realized that if I backed off just a few percent um, of my effort in the run, I was able to mentally handle it. Um, and actually that's when I got my PBs. And, mm -hmm. and so that kind of pressure that you create for yourself does actually slow. Well, in my experience, slowed me down. So mm -hmm. The mental aspect is is huge um and so you had a gap then to, and you you ran your first marathon did you say it, at 28 yes yeah and 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 so w did you become unfit or did you go to other sports during that hiatus uh, you know or what happened <laughs> i got really into weightlifting <laughs> i i there are photos that show um wow. So something about my genes, you know, I, I'm a natural ectomorph, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, my, my racing, I, I'm six feet, one inch. And I raced that Chicago marathon at 141 pounds, which yeah. is like, it's, it's at the borderline of medically underweight, you know, <laughs> like, you know, somebody give this guy a sandwich. Um, <laughs> Yeah. But that's natural for me. But for whatever reason, if I, if I stop running and really start lifting weights heavily, I, I can put on a lot of muscle and, and sort of caught up in, in my choice to quit running when I was 17. Um, you know, part, you know, it was partly, you know, what I explained, but also partly, um, I couldn't get a girlfriend being skinny. As I was. So I went on this mission to, to put on some muscle, I, I, but you know, that's typical 17 year old male calculus. Like, well, if I get muscles, I'll just get girls. It'll just, it'll just be kind of automatic. Um, and, but, yeah. So I gained a lot of weight. Um, I didn't really care. I put on a, a good amount of fat too, because I went cold Turkey on aerobic exercise. Just um, yeah. So I gained, um, 
all told close to 70 pounds. And I, I was, I mean, I, I could lift small cars, but I was, <laughs> I was not fit. I, I was not healthy. Uh, no, but what I want to know is, did you get the girls? Did it work? <laughs> it did. It did work. It did work. But you know, you know, but uh, not in the way I thought it wasn't that simple. I, yeah. it, it was really because girls aren't that dumb that they don't, they, <laughs> they don't, I mean, they don't really just go for muscles that they're, they're like more attractive are things like confidence. So yeah. that's what I found is that I gained confidence. Um, and I think that made me more attractive to, to some women. <laughs> yeah. That, as they say, you've got to love yourself before other people can love you. So I think <laughs> right. definitely. Now that's pretty extreme, man. Um, I didn't realize that. Uh, and so I suppose it was quite a tough, transition really to go from weight training and gaining almost 70 pounds to you know to the point where you're six foot uh one and 141 pounds <laughs> you know that's got to be a, a long slow process i guess or at least a couple of years before you started reaching your optimal you know um uh racing weight and stuff like that uh so and, and did you go cold turkey on the weights as well <laughs> No, you know, I think it worked out pretty well because when I, I think it would have been tougher if, if, if the reverse transition had been just as abrupt as the original one, you know, when I quit running, but it wasn't, um, the way it worked out was that, you know, a couple of years after graduating from uh, university, I, I, I moved to California for no particular reason. And I wanted to be a professional writer and I, and I just happened to get a job with a startup endurance sports magazine. And part of the reason I got the job is that I was, I had retained some knowledge <laughs> of the sport, even though I, I, at that point I was really at my most unfit. Um, but then, you know, suddenly I'm in that milieu again, you know, I'm surrounded by athletes, I'm writing about athletes and, you know, I think it was probably inevitable that, I just began to slowly get sucked <laughs> back into it. Uh, it was really sort of a bit of my competitive mindset because I, I would hear, you know, people brag about their running times and I, I would think, man, I, I could crush that. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I mean, not today, but, you know, if I, if I set my mind to it. So I wasn't in any haste, you know, to get fit again. I just slowly, you know, started running and, um, easing off the weights. Um, so, but then it became the slippery slope, you know, cause you see that's one of the great things or yeah, actually, well, it's a double-edged sword. You know, the more you put into endurance training, the more you get out of it. Um, so it took some time, you know, um, uh, a few years, three or four years before I was like really serious about it, you know, trying to see what I could do as an endurance athlete. But unfortunately, you know, you know, every endurance athlete should lift weights. Um, yeah. And, and for me, you know, it's a lot of endurance athletes don't like to, and they, you know, they, they give it lip service if they give it any attention at all. But I actually like lifting weights. You know, that's one thing <laughs> I was, you know, left with from that experience. So I, yeah, I, I, never, never quit. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, here's just a random question. Do you think that body weight exercises are enough for runners to become or maintain strength? Or do you really need to kind of get into the gym and, and resist it against a bit more weight? I, I feel that anything you do, um, that's, that's one of the nice, th nice things about strength training is that um, 
even small amounts of suboptimal types of strength training give you results relative to nothing. Yeah. Um, and that's what I often tell people who feel who don't want to do it and feel they don't have time for it. I just say, you know, just do this tiny little bit. Uh, and I will sometimes suggest, you know, uh, body weight stuff or stuff they can do with minimal equipment at home. And yeah. it's clearly beneficial. Yeah. Um, but um, you can also, you know, just like with your your workouts, you know, you can make a lot of progress on suboptimal training, too. But then you get to a point where if you want to make, you know, you know, marginal gains, as they say, from, from that point forward, then you got to, you've got to step up your methods. And that's also true with strength training. I, I would say like to get them the greatest possible performance benefit from strength training, you, you do need to put some weights into the mix, but, but you can get, you know, 80% of what strength training has to offer without them, I would say. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, and, and so, uh, you're a runner, you're a writer and, then also, uh, you're a coach as well. Uh, you, you do coaching. So do you, are you currently coaching? Um, and what's that journey been like to help someone towards achieving a dream? Yeah, it's funny. Uh, you know, I've gotten to know, obviously, a lot of coaches through, through my writing work, you know, like pre premier coaches, preeminent coaches, uh, you know, the, the best in the business, like folks like Ben Rosario, the coach of Northern Arizona elite who coached me, you know, during my fake professional runner journey. And what I found about, you know, the great coaches is that they're sort of like teachers or certain people in like, you know, healthcare professions, like they were born for it. Like they, you know, there was, they were just, they're just cut out for the role. Um, and, and I'm, I'm actually not one of those people. You know, I'm more of like a, a creative type where I, I like communicating with people, but, but it's really, it's actually honestly more self-focused, like it's self-expression. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm experiencing stuff. I want to share it. And then I share it and it's like, you do with it what you will. Um, so coaching, you know, I, I started to do it just because I, I, I realized, well, I, you know, I, I've acquired all this knowledge. I, I have all this experience and people wanted me to coach them. Yeah. Um, so I started doing it and I just, I was pretty honest with myself. I, I, you know, I understood my limitations that like, I, I'm just not all that you focused, <laughs> you know, if I'm lying awake at night, worrying about someone's fitness, I'm worrying about my fitness, <laughs> <laughs> but, but over time, as I've gotten older, that there's been this evolution where I've just found myself caring more, being more and more personally invested in other athletes um and and caring a, a little bit less about, about my, my own uh fitness and performance and it, it's been a lot of fun just because you know I, I think i've got enough of a foundation to be a good coach that it it incentivized me to become a better coach yeah. um and and i i like i like that challenge uh, you know it, it's a little hard like if i'm working with an athlete and and they're struggling and and then after some time, I realized, man, I couldn't manage that better. Um, but then I, I've learned something from it. And then with the next athlete who's in some kind of similar situation, I feel like I can do it better. And that to me is um, that's kind of a thrill, you know, because it's, it's parallel. I love getting better at stuff. <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, that's a big part of why I like being an athlete. So, um, yeah, coaching is it becomes more and more rewarding for me the, the more the you know the longer i've done it yeah and the, and the better you get and um and um so you're currently in california you come uh from new hampshire is that 
correct? Yep, the other side of the country, yeah. Yeah, and uh, have you, I think, have I got this right? Have you lived a, a, a period in Kenya? Have you been to over there and lived there, or have I got that completely wrong? I, I was only, uh, the only foreign country I, I've lived in was, uh, well, the UK. <laughs> I, I, did oh, really? a, I, I did a year um, at uh, St. Andrews uh, in, in college, my junior year of college, so. I guess that was nine months um, in Scotland, um, oh, but yeah, the the Kenya thing was just two weeks. I was um, yeah, okay. I was doing re research for my book, The Endurance Diet. Uh -huh, um, yeah. So uh, that that research required that I travel to all over the world to cool places like Kenya. So yeah, I was there for two weeks, which yeah, you know, that's a good long while. Um, but uh, I, I can't say I lived there. No. Yeah, of, of course. Um, but how did that um, did that impact? Did, did you gain anything um, that you didn't think you would gain? And, and what was that when with your experience going to Kenya for two weeks? Well, you know, you, you read so much or, and I guess see so much about Kenya and Kenyan runners. Like if you're a runner from who lives anywhere else, you know, there's a lot of attention given to Kenya. So we tend to know a fair amount. <laughs> um, you know, those of us who, you know, choose to, you know, expose ourselves to, to what's available so it, it was a lot of confirming yeah. what i had you know read and seen and it filled in the picture but it's it's pretty darn powerful you know when you are there that's why like it you know, you know reading up on a country is just never the same <laughs> as as actually going there you know it's it's funny i'm actually collaborating on a book with ben rosario now the coach of nazi elite um it's called uh run like a pro even if you're slow um and it's just it's basically it's just it's just taking everything i learned uh, yeah. at naz elite and, and and saying like and just sort of packaging it for mere mortals um so it's like here here's what the pros do here's how to scale it to you um and there's a there's a chapter in there on recovery and i, I think a lot of people would expect a a, a chapter on recovery in a book about training like the pros to be filled like with supplements and gadgets and high technology and science. And the message in there is exactly the opposite. It's, it's like all that stuff is smoke and mirrors. Like recovery yeah. is all about sleep, stress <laughs> management, yeah. nutrition, and not going in for gimmicks. And in that chapter, I talk a lot about East Africa um, because when I was there, it I remember on, on my first day there, uh, first fall day, um, I was with a group of other runners and we went to uh, some botanical, well, we went to see a museum and there was like some botanical gardens there too. And it was around midday and all these people, uh, clearly office workers of some sort, the way they were dressed, they start filing out of this uh, building and then lying down on the grass and falling asleep. Um, <laughs> And the guy who had organized the trip, who is now one of my closest friends, uh, who grew up in Kenya and now lives in the States, also a runner. I asked him, like, what are these people doing? It's like where I live, only homeless people like lie down and sleep outdoors in the middle of the day on a weekday. And he said, oh, you know, that's just what we do here. Like we just and throughout the two weeks I was there, I would just see people sleeping anywhere. Like, <laughs> you know, people in suits and ties. And you know, it's just the, the culture is just so relaxed. I mean you know, it's relaxed to a fault, you know, because if like, if, if you get like a leaky pipe in your house and call a plumber to fix it, and he says, you'll be there Tuesday, well, he'll be there Tuesday, three weeks from now. <laughs> but so, you know, they're relaxed to a fault, but it, it, it made a powerful impression on me that like, 
that's recovery, (laughs) you know, just like not getting sucked up in the rat race, you know, for, for so many, uh, you know, people in, in societies like ours, like if you're not running, you're like, you know, preparing a PowerPoint presentation for some high pressure, you know, business meeting, uh, you know, and you're stressed out and like, you're, it's, you know, you're putting a ton of mental energy into it. Like, well, how much are you really recovering from running? Like, even, even though you're not running there. So, uh, yeah, so I did, I did uh, all that to say, I, I did gain a lot from that trip. <laughs> I think that's huge. That's um, I've lived in Ethiopia for uh, six months back in 2014. And yeah, the guys I was living with all had a, it was like being at kindergarten, you have your afternoon nap, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but um, that was a way of recovering. And I got to spend a bit of time with Haley Gabri Selassie. And uh, nice. I, I said, you know, what's the best form of recovery? And he said, sleep, the, 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 mm-hmm. the afternoon nap. So yeah, uh, to hear someone say that uh, just brings everything to back in my memory. Yes, yeah, sleep is recovery for sure. That's when mm-hmm. we... Um, um, we, we get faster, right? <laughs> we sleep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and even just relaxing, you know, you, you yeah. can be awake, yeah. but yeah. like, you know, in, you know, in the U S we're probably the worst, like, like we're always doing something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, just, you know, just even like just deep, deeply relaxing, just chilling out is, is very good recovery. Uh, well, I think I chill out quite a lot, but <laughs> I <laughs> see you. myself against the grain with society in the UK, because especially in London, everyone's like you say, always doing something. And I think, oh, yeah. am I lazy? No, I'm just not stressed. <laughs> you know, <laughs> good for you. So what's um, the, the situation with you currently with um, your your um, what are you doing? Are you, are you focusing on anything particular right now that you're excited about personally? Uh, well, yeah, sure. Always. Um, uh, you know, less so with, with athletics. I, I'm actually, so I, I got COVID back in the spring. Um, oh. and I, I, I had, had it pretty bad, uh, not, not to the level where I had to be hospitalized, but then came back from that, had six good months. Um, and now I'm dealing with, um, some kind of, I, I think it belated, uh, long haul syndrome. Um, so actually, as you speak to me, I, I can, I can barely run. Um, oh. I'm, yeah, I'm not, I'm not well, and I don't know exactly what's wrong with me. It, it, that's a hard thing to diagnose, especially if you weren't able to get the positive COVID test when you were actually viral. Um, so yes, I'm excited about things personally, but, uh, right now I'm kind of in survival, <laughs> survival mode, you know, fitness wise. Yeah. Um, but I have, I am working on the, the book I mentioned with, uh, Ben Rosario, uh, Yep. I've got this one, the comeback quotient here. I'm showing it to you. I know you're not yep. recording a, a video. Yeah, um, well, there's video on here. It's kind of recorded. In, in the future, I may make a YouTube channel so we can, right on. <laughs> we right can on. do that. But um, you, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. And then uh, and then I'm also um, I'm working to develop a, uh, an app uh, for runners initially, and it will be other endurance athletes, a training app uh, that uses uh, artificial intelligence to generate adaptive training plans. So a, a big part of how I make a living is by selling training plans online through uh, 8020 Endurance. Um, but those are, you know, they're, they're cool. They have a lot of bells and whistles because, you know, you can upload data to them. You can download workouts to your device. 
Um, but they are static plans. It's like you buy the plan, that's the plan. And if like you miss a week because you get a cold, uh, you have to adjust. Um, yeah. Right. So this this app I'm working on will, uh, it's more like having a real coach where, you know, you start with a plan, but the plan will change based on, um, you know, how how well it goes, you know, how well you're able to adhere to it. So that, that's a cool project. No, that sounds really cool. I, I have your... 8020 uh website endurance 8020endurance.com open here and it said you've um sold over 63,000 plans so that's a lot of yeah plans. that's a lot of people <laughs> that's a lot of miles run so that's pretty amazing to um to you know to be responsible for um and uh your family life, um, I, I read that you went through and in fact, uh, I think is the book called Life is a Marathon. Um, yes. Yeah. You, you had some, your wife had uh, bi has bipolar and you've coped with that in just the most amazing, gracious, um, inspiring way um, that a human being could do. Uh, how are you guys now? And um how are you guys doing? Uh, we're doing great. Uh, as a matter of fact, yeah, it's been a heck of a, a journey. Um, uh, Nataki, that's her name. Uh, yeah. 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 So we met on a blind date, uh, in 1997. Um, and it's funny, you know, we're, I mean, no dating service ever would have matched us up together just because demographically there's, you know, she's black, I'm white. Uh, she grew up with religion. I grew up without. She's a city girl. I'm a country boy. You know, just up and down the line. It's like this isn't going to work. <laughs> but, but yeah, you know, we were. Um, you know, it just shows you like you know, love has its own rules. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, we were able to. It took time. You know, we, we didn't even necessarily quite speak the same language uh, initially. Like even like uh, expectations for gender roles were, were very different. Um, um, like I seemed very soft for a man to her and she seemed very hard for a woman <laughs> to, to, to me. But, um, but you know, there was something there. There was something worth nurturing. And we had sort of just kind of figured it out and we were ready for uh, the good times to really start rolling when she got sick. Um, you know, she developed this mental illness. And, um, you know, anyone who's been touched by it, and most people have, that's one thing that you know, sort of when you go first to share what you've been through, you know, people open up about uh, their own experiences. So yeah, it put us through the ringer big time, obviously her more than me, uh, because she, yeah. she has it, but you know, as, as her spouse and, and, you know, I guess, you know, primary caregiver um, when she needs the care, uh, I, I certainly went through it too. And in, in the book, you know, it's, it's sort of a, a running themed account of all that. So um but it, it may seem like two books kind of mashed into one. Uh, yeah. But for me, they're, they're inseparable. It was like the only way to tell the story um, because, um, you know, it's running is a big part of what got me through it. Um, yeah. I, I know that's, that may, I, I doubt there are any non-runners listening, but to a non-runner, that would just seem, uh, I mean, how could that possibly make sense? <laughs> but uh, to me, it does. Yeah, no, it does make sense. And maybe just uh, maybe just highlight some of the so for non runners out there, what what does running give you? Like, So let's say somebody just goes to start running. 
um and and uh you know whatever age it doesn't really matter uh maybe an adult let's say an adult what can that adult expect to get from running as if they persisted it and time goes by besides injuries you know if they do it wrongly yeah um you know there, so there's this um in life as a marathon uh there, there's i i I share a conversation I have with this uh, running coach or head of a running club in New York City named Knox Robinson. And we, we had a conversation um, at the Boston Marathon in 2017 about this. And he and I agreed that um, running, it's sort of like uh, going to university. Like it, it's not automatically going to, you're not automatically gonna get something out of it. It creates an opportunity for you to get something out of it. And it's up to you to take advantage of it or not. I, I look at running the same way. Like you could run just without liking it, without ever trying to become a good runner, just to, you know, could just be, uh, you know, weight management for you or, you know, doctor's orders. But, but for me, you know, the true riches in terms of how running can affect you on uh, psychological and spiritual levels, um, that comes from pursuing your limits as a runner. Um, so, you know, if you, if you just try to find your sort of redefine your absolute physical and mental limits through running, you, you go on a journey that, uh, it's almost impossible to recreate any other way in life because, um, you, you, and, and it's neat to see that psychologists are backing this up now. I mean, they would say that, you know, in those, those terrible moments of like a marathon, when you're really suffering and it's completely voluntary, you're making yourself do it. Like you could quit, you want to quit, but you don't quit because another part of you, sort of the person you want to be, the person you aspire to be wants to keep going and, you know, and to fulfill what is really in the, in the grand scheme of things, an utterly meaningless goal. You know, it's just like, so you're just like, you're signing up to put yourself through hell, <laughs> like a bona fide crisis state. And in those moments, which you're just not going to experience in everyday life, you discover who you are and you also have opportunities to evolve, to become like, just depending on which choice you make, you know, quit or keep going. Uh, you, there's no stopping it at that point. Like the choice is made and you have to live with it one way or another, and you come out of it a different person. And at the very least, knowing something more about yourself. So for me, it started off, you know, where I just, you know, I saw myself as a bit of a coward and I wanted to put myself back in those moments and pass the test that I had failed previously. And so for me, it was just about uh, running and my self-image. But when Nataki got sick and, um, you know, that, that the stakes were obviously were much, much higher <laughs> you know, it, it, it's literally life and death. Um, and, and so at the beginning of that, uh, of that process, I was not the person I needed to be in order to be the person that Taki needed me to be. Um, but in a weird way, the work I was doing in running was, was training for that role. Um, I was becoming a stronger, braver, more resilient human being. Yeah you know, just by in that crucible of running and it transferred over to my relationship. Um, and over time, it, it certainly didn't happen all at once. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even say I'm all the way there. I think you gave me too much 
credit in setting this thing up about how well I've handled it, but I have certainly gotten better. Yeah. Um, but yeah. it's also worked the other way around that, you know, uh, the experiences I've been through in my marriage have strengthened me in ways that have transferred back over to my running. Cause you only have one mind, right? Like you use the same mind in your marriage as you do in a marathon. Um, yeah. so it, it really is a, a two way street. Can I ask you if um, when you wanted to revisit the the part of you, which you said you felt was a coward because you had this hiatus from running um, now, let's say there's a 5k um, or in the, in the past couple of years, did you actually get to the point where you were able to handle those nerves in a more uncowardly way, you know, um, and what did it feel like? And did, what were the methods uh, that got you there? Um. It, it's 180 degrees different <laughs> uh, from, from what it was before. Like, I don't get nervous before, like at all, <laughs> before before races or even hard workouts. Now, um, I get excited for them. It's not that I, I, you know, it's not that I don't care or that I'm mailing it in. Like, and, and even more than that, like, I actually actively crave the suffering that I used to recoil from before. Like, I, I feel like it's my comfort zone now. It still hurts, That's but funny. I like it because <laughs> I feel like, like I own it. I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm better at this. Like, <laughs> you know, when I, um, you know, uh, last year, I, I, that's one of these unfinished business things. I did my second Ironman triathlon and it was my first one, I think in 18 years, 17 years. Um, and, uh, I remember standing on the starting line of that race and well, it, before my first Ironman, my, my younger brother, my whole family came out to support me. Um, and I remember my younger brother saying like, how you doing? Like before the race, he was helping me zip up my wetsuit or whatever. And, and part of my French, I said, I'm scared shitless. <laughs> Fast forward 17 years. And I'm, I'm looking around at you know, the other 2000 competitors before this, you know, it's, it's going to be an absolute, you know, 10 hour suffer fest. <clears throat> and I'm seeing a bunch, bunch of people who are scared shitless. And I'm like, I am the mentally strongest person here. <laughs> like, you know, like, I, if, I don't know what's going to happen today. I don't know what could go wrong. I don't know if I'm going to achieve my goal or not, but my mind is not going to let me down. I knew it. I, I knew it with absolute 100% conviction. Um, not to say I actually was the mentally strongest, like they're, probably the guy who won <laughs> was stronger, but that's how I felt. You know yeah. what I mean? And, and, you know, it wasn't like someone waved a magic wand to, to make that transformation. Like I, I earned it, you know, I, I had to do the work and, you know, there, I guess you know, there are lots of little tricks or tips I could offer, but the main thing, half the battle is intentionality uh, where you just consciously pursue gaining mental strength you know so for, for me it was high stakes because i wanted to change i didn't want to just become a better runner i wanted to change how i viewed myself as a man and i went through this period where you know i would do a race and you know it really didn't happen overnight even when i got back into it in my late 20s and my early 30s i still i had the nerves and there were races where i held back a little bit um but i started to go into races where the goal was not time or place. It was to leave it all out there. It was to see how deep into the pain cave I could go. And that was the only standard I judged myself by. You know, if I, if I finished a race and the time was bad and my placing was bad, but I knew mm -hmm. I couldn't have suffered any more than I had, I was 
deeply satisfied. And if I won the race and set a PB and knew I had coasted, I was not satisfied. And just by holding myself to that standard in you know, race after race and even workout after workout, uh, it, it added up. I'll say one more thing on the topic. And yeah. I liken it for those who have a hard time just you know, taking this in. I, I like an, I make an analogy to uh, actors with extreme stage fright. It's not that different, you know, like it's something that you love to do, something you're good at, but then you sabotage yourself just with fear. Um, like if you talk to actors who've sort of gotten through that, you know, they'll tell you the biggest thing was just getting back on stage again and again and again. It was like, it wasn't hypnosis. It wasn't like any sort of like meditation or whatever. I mean, those things can help, you know, there, there are, there's stuff, there's little stuff you can do, but it's really just the big thing of just, you know, challenging yourself to get back on that stage again and again and again. Um, it's kind of like a familiarization process. So I guess um, it was a progressive um, change. It wasn't something that you said happened overnight, but it was being, so you say your focus was to hit it, get in that pain cave and spend time there. That wasn't, it wasn't time. It wasn't to beat the guy next to you. It was just to spend time in the pain cave. And the more time you spent in there, the less you feared being in the pain cave. And, and then eventually now you feel like you crave the pain cave. That is your comfort zone. That's um, right. right. That's, that's pretty. Yeah, that's pretty. I like the way you explained it. I understand. I'm sure people listening out there will understand as well um geez <laughs> yeah i'm just contemplating that now <laughs> me of all my following questions it's pretty, pretty awesome um so do you ever go back to new hampshire and uh, uh and the you've got the white mountains over there i came over to america in 2018 and helped my friend carol set the the fkt on the appalachian trail so i've spent time up in the whites and how much do you spend on the trails in comparison to the roads? Um, so I, I don't get back to New Hampshire at all anymore because I have no family left there anymore. My, my mother grew up in the nearby New England state of Rhode Island. Um, and so um, my parents moved there after I have two brothers. So after the nest was empty, um, my mother inherited a, a home um, right on the ocean that's been in the family for a while. So, they, so when I go back east, I, I go to Rhode Island. Um, every now and then, I'll, I still have friends in New Hampshire. I'll make a, a quick trip up there. Um, and, you know, I love running on, on trails, but uh, it just sort of, you know, and I loved cross-country running you know, in, in high school, but you know, trails really just sort of left my life. It's funny, like you start, you know, you know like triathlon, it's such a road thing. And I, you know, I got really into that. And, and, and then this, you know, I, I was trying to crack the nut of a sub 240 marathon and that's a road thing. So I just got, I got super road focused as much as I liked running on trails. So even, you know, for a while in the talking, I were relocating a lot. So like, if I were to move again, I would make sure I moved to a place with really good trail access, but it wasn't even a consideration for, for so many years. So that only reinforced it because I kept moving to places with poor trail access. So um, by the time, you know, I, I made the inevitable pivot when I started to see my 5k time slowing down and I'm like, well, maybe I should do ultras, <laughs> you know, by then I was really bad at running on the trails and, and where I live now, it's not good tra trail access. So, you know, I, I've, 
I love it. Um, I, I've done a small handful of ultras and like, you know, trail races. Uh, but I want to do, uh, assuming I, I'm able to get over this uh, long haul thing and, and get back to real training. Uh, yeah. I definitely, I see a lot more trail running in my future. That's, that's, that's good to hear. And um, did you end up running? Is it, uh, is it called Black Canyon 100K this year? Did Yeah. How did, how did it go? Because I, I don't know. I'm not sure yeah. how, what happened. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll share you a, a link. I'll share with you a link to the blog post I wrote about it. A long story short is, you know, I DNF. I mean, that's, that's the, the headline. Um, so that's you where know, you learn the most though, you know? It, well, exactly. So, and it, you know, it's funny. I can't believe all this has happened in one year. <laughs> uh, Cause you know, um, so my, my mother has Alzheimer's disease. And so at the beginning of this year, uh, you know, my father has been, you know, trying to take care of, of her all by himself. Um, and the load became too much for him. Um, so early this year, we brought her out here. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, anyone who's been, you know, a caregiver for someone with, uh, you know, dementia will tell you it, it is one of the hardest things you can ever do. Um, and so it was in the, it, I was in the late stages of training for black Canyon. So, that, you know, hundred K it would have been, you know, my long, I've done a 50 miler. Yeah. Um, so, and I'm not really that great at the super ultra stuff. Um, you know, I, I think I, I, it's the next, next nut I want to crack, but, uh, but up to this point, I can't say I'm any good at it. Um, so, you know, it was, it was going to, I was going to have to become a better runner <laughs> uh, in order to, to get to the finish line of that darn thing. And then I had this, you know, I, it, it's funny because, you know, I suffered a couple, uh, like I mentioned, I'm terrible at trail running and that means I fall a lot. And I suffered, uh, during that race, I was, you know, I'm experienced enough that I did a lot of things right in the training, the preparation, I had a good nutrition strategy. Uh, my pacing strategy was brilliant. You know, I started off, I was like at like 40th position in the first checkpoint and then 30th and then 20th, right. but I suffered a couple of pretty bad falls. Um, yeah. And I could have finished, you know, yeah. but you know, I just got demoralized. Uh, like I was, I, I was, and it reminded me, you know, cause afterward I felt like I was making the right decision at the time. Cause I really felt like, you know what, if I forced this, these last, I was at 38 miles. So if I forced these last 24 miles, I might not run again for a month. Yeah. Um, and there was kind of something I had to do two weeks later. So I, I thought it was, I convinced myself I was being prudent, but afterwards I was just beating myself up saying, you know what, you were just weak. <laughs> you were weak. And, and the lesson I ended up learning was like I I well because at first I'm like have I regressed because like here I, you know I was used to thinking of myself I had become accustomed to thinking of myself as like the the mentally strongest guy on the start line yeah and you know I, I questioned like are you just fooling yourself but but then then I realized that what it really was was that in order to achieve at that level your heart has to be you have to have the the, the mental strength as a foundation but then in order to be able to access that strength, your heart has to be in it. Like you have to really, a hundred percent of you has to want to be there. Yeah. And I, I only realized when I got to the moment of truth that my heart wasn't in it. And that's why I quit. And my heart wasn't in it because my heart was on my mom. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I had just been, it, it had absorbed so much of me that I, I thought I was juggling the two things pretty well, but when it came down to it, I, 
it was more than I could do. I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't nail it in, in caring for my mom and nail the preparation and ex- execution of that race. Uh, so yeah, I, it, it was really a cool lesson. It was a hard lesson, but um, valuable. How long was it before that light bulb went off that you realized that your heart wasn't in it after you, but you know, after the race, how long before was it hours, weeks, months, you know, (laughs) part of me knew even in the moment, um, you know, but I wouldn't, you know, I, that, that voice was drowned out (laughs) (laughs) because, you know, yes, exactly. Like, you know, like, because you, you know, the hardest truths to accept are the ones that force you to see yourself in a way you don't want to, to recognize things about you you'd rather keep hidden. Um, so, but honestly, it was only a day or day or two yeah. uh, before I was just like looking myself in the mirror and saying like, here's what happened, dude. <laughs> yeah, I suppose, wrong question. Not when did you realize, when did you accept? Yeah, so a couple of days. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, you know, the way it worked out, it was it was, it was, it worked out pretty well because the, the thing that I had to do two weeks later, um, was the Atlanta marathon. <laughs> so I, there was a, there's a woman who's based there who has like a, a running trap, like a destination travel business for runners. So like, you know, she'll hook up with various events and then, uh, you know, you, you register for the race through her and then she completely takes care of you soup to nuts, like with hotel and, limo from the airport and you get to hang out with a group of other runners who've also signed up for the same service and she wanted me there like as part of the draw you know you know like so i i didn't have to pay my own way or anything but so it was it was a it was work but you know she wanted me to to actually run the marathon and we had the olympic trials there um as well so it was like a big deal like it was atlanta was the center of american running for that weekend and i was obligated to do it and you know, if I had shown up and said, well, I'm a little too gimpy to run this marathon that you're paying me to, <laughs> to run. But, you know, so I had to do it, but then it became an unfinished, another unfinished business. Like I, I had a monkey on my back, um, you know, from, from that DNF. And so, you know, if you're at all a competitor, like you come, you come out of a humiliation like that, just like raring for your next opportunity to get, get that. And I only had to wait two weeks. I I just had to, I had to make sure I healed up enough yeah. to run because I was really beat up after that race, but it, I, I did recover pretty well. Um, and then uh, that, that, that marathon, it, cause I had done ultra training. So I was, I was, I was training like with tons of Hills and just, you know, I'd, I'd run up to five hours, like in, in training, like five hour training runs. Yeah. And, and that marathon was like the single hardest marathon course I've ever run. It was like 1800 feet of elevation change, you know, on the roads yeah. uh, in, the, in the city of Atlanta. Um, absolutely brutal. So I was very well prepared physically and I couldn't have wanted it more. Um, I was very, sorry, very well prepared, prepared physically and couldn't have wanted it more mentally. And, and so that was a race where I just, I just wanted, I wanted to suffer like a dog <laughs> and I did, but I also, I mean, I ran, really well and so yeah that helped a lot you know if i hadn't had that it's funny that's where i got covid so i yeah i i I came home from that and then uh six days later i'm in bed (laughs) no it sounds like you got a chance to redeem yourself you know and um yes do you see yourself uh ever running like a hundred mile ultra marathon or working up to that distance or not really 
Well, not really, but <laughs> I've given exactly the same answer to ultras, period. Uh, okay, yeah. I, I, I used to say the same thing about uh, Ironman triathlons. So, yeah, yeah. you know, never yeah. say never. Yeah. But it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't appeal just because, um, you know, I, you know, I'm still, I'm still a competitor, you yeah. know, and, and I suck at that, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's still running, but I don't know why sign up for the version of running. You're, you're the absolute worst. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't appeal trails. Yes. You know, longer than marathons. Yes. But hundred miles. I, and it's really, it's a durability thing. You know, I, I, like if I just uttered the words plantar fasciitis, I get it, plantar fasciitis. Like I, I'm that kind of guy. So it's not that like, you know, I think I'm up for the suffering, uh, but it's just, I just think I would have a hard time just simply surviving it physically. Do, do you have a, um, any kind of routines, like a morning routine, including any um, stretches, foods, drinks, um, meditations, or do you have any kind of routines to get yourself going in the day? first thing in the morning even a wake well, up yeah i mean I, I mean the the problem with me is that everything is a routine uh, <laughs> i mean all the more so under pandemic conditions but yeah my wife would tell you like i, I am a creature of habit to a fault um i mean I, I like travel i like adventure and new experiences but but those are like exceptions right like i need i need like a few of those per year the rest of the time, I like every day to look exactly the same. <laughs> so yes, I'm up at five in the morning every every morning. I have the same thing for breakfast every morning. I, I'm down in front of my computer at the same time every day. Nataki and I go for a walk, two mile walk together um, after I've gotten through my coffee and cleared out my e email inbox. My first workout of the day is almost always at 9 a.m. every day. Uh, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm. I, I'm on a schedule. And, and in terms of things like in the spirit of your question, like I do like a daily corrective exercise routine, just stuff that various physical therapists have given me over the years to try and balance out my body. Like I, that's like 20 minutes that I do for a lot. I know a lot of people do it in the morning. For me, it's like an evening wind down thing, but that, you know, that's every day. I've sort of, now that I'm not particularly healthy and I'm kind of in survival mode. You know how you just like jettison some things? Just like I'll I'll pick that back up. Like if I'm not actually training, I'm like, what's the point? <laughs> do I yeah, do I really need to do, you know, foot strengthening exercises when I can barely shuffle? <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, I'm I'm all about my habits. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of endurance athletes, I mean it forces you to be a creature of routine. Um, and then a lot of writers are, are the same way. And so I've got it from both sides and it's just, it's my personality. Yeah. I, I think, I think probably personality. Cause if you hear, um, you know, Courtney DeWalter, um, on, yeah. on, she's the complete opposite. I think she's right, in the yeah. house and she doesn't know, I don't know how true this is. I mean, you'd, you'd have to really <laughs> observe her from a, a, like fly on the wall, but I think she doesn't know how far she's going to run when she goes out and she listens to her body. Do you, are you still able to find a balance between your routine and listening to your body or listening to your heart, your motivation, these things? Yeah, uh, for sure. Um, you know, it's been, it's been many years since I, well, with the exception of my fake pro runner experience, like I don't follow training plans. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a bit like Courtney in, in that sense. Okay. And 
you know, it's just, it's, uh, I, I wrote a book um, called, well, the title's Run, but the, that was the publisher's choice. <laughs> the subtitle is uh, The Mind-Body Method of Running by Feel. Um, so one of the things I, I just discovered over time was that training plans are only really needed if you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> like, like beginners need training plans, um, you know, and advanced beginners and like beginner intermediates, like all those folks need a plan. But when you get to a certain level of experience, like all you really need to know is when race day is like, you need to know the date and the distance. <laughs> and then you can sort of, um, you can just, and I've written quite a bit about this as well. From there, all you need is just your accumulated understanding of, you know, proven principles and methods. And then you just get from point A to point B. Like, so it's not like you're totally winging it and just, um, you know, like kind of, uh, you know, today I think I'll chop wood instead of running it. It's not that wild. Like, like, in, in fact, it's almost as if there's a plan. It's just not written down. Yeah. Um, so I know that I'm going to train progressively that, you know, and if you look at my training log, so, you know, retrospective after the training is done, it looks like a plan. Yeah. You know what I mean? It looks like, yeah, this guy clearly had a plan that's, that was well thought out and then he followed it. But I, I just found that, you know, when you actually have a plan, the only real difference it makes is that it encourages you to force things you shouldn't force. It's like, you're, like you're probably, if you, if you have experience and you have knowledge and you know when race day is, your training is going to end up looking like a sensible plan anyway, but then you've, you've, you don't have the pressure of, well, there's that you know 20 mile marathon pace run on the schedule on Saturday, I gotta do it, gotta do it, because God put it there. <laughs> so yeah. Um, so I've, I have gotten good at listening to my body and, you know, it, I mean, the results speak from, for, for themselves. Like, you yeah. know, I mentioned, I got really sick in the spring and, you know, I have never lost so much fitness so quickly, except maybe when I quit running when I was 17. I mean, you know, I, I, I could barely move. Like I couldn't even walk my dog. I, I was so sick. Like I would, a couple of times I fainted after climbing the stairs in my, in my home. Like I, I, I was. I, I lost as much fitness as you can lose in, in one month. And then when I was well enough to start training again, I thought, you know what? I'm, I'm going to like, just for fun, just push the envelope and I'm going to see how much fitness I can get back. How, how quickly. Yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't like being reckless and putting myself to the meat grinder. I, I just, I wanted to do it. I wanted it to work. So, and that required, you know, because normally if you have in your, under normal circumstances, when you train progressively for an event, you intentionally, uh, kind of slow walk it. Like you take a leisurely approach. So you don't build fitness as quickly as you could, you know, if you were in a rush yeah. and, and that's just, that's how it's done. You, you want to pad it a little bit, uh, to account for setbacks and just, you know, to minimize risk. But I was in a situation where I'm like, you know, there's a pandemic, there's no races. Um, like, I just want to, cause I knew I would learn something. It's like, like if, if I just scrap that and see like, what is the maximum rate at which I can, uh, regain my fitness? Uh, like what, you know, what will I learn from that? So there, there was a virtual marathon scheduled six and a half weeks after I was able to do my first kind of tentative test run. Yeah. Like after, time, yeah. yeah. So I, I had six and a half weeks to go from zero to marathon. And I ran that virtual marathon in 254. 
<laughs> which is, you know, it's by far not my fastest marathon, but, but it's, I surprised. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty remarkable. And it was, you know, it was kind of a white knuckle ride where I was really, you know, I came up with some ideas that like I was doing either a long run or an interval run or, you know, a quality run every other day. So it was like long run, easy run, interval run, easy run, long run, easy run, tempo run, easy run. Long, you know, so I was really compressing things. And you know, there was one time in there when I went out to do what was supposed to be a 23 mile run and I ran 12, you know? Yeah. So again, like the idea was not to like blow myself up. It was to succeed. Um, but I had to be super adaptive and really responsive. Like I had kind of a plan or, you know, something like the way I hoped, well, the, the things I the progression I would hoped I would be able to achieve, but I knew there would be setbacks because I was really, you know, riding the line and, and it worked. Um, yeah. And I went on from there to run my fastest road mile since high school. And then, and then I set up a, a PR for 10 K, uh, you know, a, a solo time trial, a wheel, wheel measured. So it was like a um, accurate, like 10 K. So, I mean, my system clearly works. And sometimes I, I coach athletes who have like more of like an engineer's mind. And I, I, I come at them with all this stuff and they're like, you're a madman. Like you have no idea what you're doing, but I'm like, look at how it works out for me. Like, I promise I can do the same thing for you. I know it's like a little unconventional, but like, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> no, I think what you're doing is you're, you're, you're exploring. That's what you're doing. You know, you're exploring yes. untried methods and how do you find stuff out unless you go and try it for yourself and, and use yourself as a Guinea pig. So how, do you know what your um, volume was at all over those six weeks? your mileage distance? It, you know, it wasn't huge because um, one of the things I did is, so I was only running every other day. Um, so I was, I was training twice a day. Like I do that at all times when yeah. I'm not sick. So, you know, it was a ton of cross training to get the volume up. Um, but I knew that if I just went from not running at all, cause I mean, the first thing you lose is some of the, uh, you know, the adaptations that allow your body to withstand repetitive impact. Um, so I knew if I was, you know, 48 hours between beatings was going to be much less risky than 24. Yeah. So, you know, the running mileage wasn't huge, but it increased very quickly. Um, okay. But, you know, so the, the overall volume, it was, it was, I quickly went from zero to 14 hours per week because it would be an average of two one hour sessions per day, including like strength training. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, um, that's impressive. I, I suppose. It, and, you know, a question that comes from that is, you know, when you train for an event, and you do, you know, you, you, you go and run your marathon, how much do you let go of your fitness after? And is there a kind of a cycle as the years have gone by that you've seen yourself fall into? Yeah, I mean, you know, the mistake a lot of people make is, you know, you know, they, uh, you know, a lot of people come from running. Most people aren't like me who started at 11. You know, most, most adult runners started as adults. So they don't have like a deep background in like, you know, those, you know, principles and best practices I was referring to. So I, I have found just as a coach that a lot of people come at running sort of like with a general fitness mentality. And in the general fitness world where you're like, man, I've put on a few pounds. I should get me a, a, a gym membership. And, and there, the whole idea is like, 
you, you, you're starting from zero, you're establishing a routine, and then you just maintain it. It's like, it's like I call it get fit, stay fit. <clears throat> and, and so what a lot of people do is they bring that same mentality into running where, you know, now like they're training for their first marathon, they get fit. Um, whether the marathon goes well or poorly, they know that they've worked very hard and they're fitter than they've ever been. So then they've gotten fit and they want to stay fit. <laughs> you know, they want to keep the momentum going. That's a, that's a deadly expression I've heard. Yeah. So a, a lot of people, they, they want, they, they, they don't want to give up any fitness, but you know, I, I'll tell, I tell people over and over, like the best thing you could do right now, like the day after your marathon, uh, to help your long-term development as a runner is to give away some of that, that hard-earned fitness. Um, as long as you only give away so much that you start the next cycle fitter than you started the last cycle, you're going to end up at a higher peak, um, you know, than, than you were previously. So don't worry about it. So that's the advice I give, you know, <laughs> you know, I got to a point where, um, you know, and that's how I did it myself for a while. But then I got to a point where I just didn't really care anymore. <laughs> and, and, you know, or I, I mentioned like sort of I, I turned 40, I'm starting to slow down. Um, and, you know, just to motivate myself, I just started running more for adventure than necessarily in the same pattern. So then I would, I would like, you know, I ran eight marathons in eight weeks uh, one time, or I would, you know, I, I just, I'm like, I wouldn't necessarily feel like I had to do things by the book because I was prepared to live with the consequences, consequences. Yeah. It just simply didn't matter to me. And what I found was that it worked out fine for the most part. Um, if I just sort of, you know, I, I got fit, did, you know, did something and then just sort of got right back on the horse, you know, after a, you know, a little bit, a little bit more of like the, the Michael Wardian style, <laughs> like just that indestructible athlete. But, but what I found the key was like uh, letting your motivation lead you. Um, so, you know, there's a tendency to just focus on the physical, like, like how long do you, how long does it take after a marathon for your blood work to look, to look normal? So, uh, so you can start again. I, I found that like, if you're, as soon as you're hungry for the next thing, it's probably okay to start getting after it. And, and so that's what I do now. If like, if I feel like, I want to deprioritize training for a minute. Um, I trust that. And I do. Um, and if there's a time when like, I, I, I like build and build and build and put a lot into a particular event. And then a week later, I'm super hungry for the next thing. I trust that too. Uh, and it, it seems to work out pretty well. Just a question about the trusting, because it's sometimes confusing or, it, it could be tricky because there's the lazy voice inside of you, which is, I can't be bothered. But then, you know, cause there's, there's almost that, 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 that um, conflicting um, advice in your head. How do you differentiate between being lazy and not being motivated to do something? I suppose you would not feel lazy if you're motivated, I guess. No. Yeah. Well, I mean, the way I look at it is like, everyone has a voice inside them that is right every time <laughs> it's that voice is there, you know, there, that there is that voice you can trust. And it just, I think it takes, it takes life experience uh, to learn to distinguish that voice yeah. from others. And, and so we're all fully capable of fooling ourselves. You know, I mentioned after the black Kenyan hundred K like I, 
I fooled myself for about, um, well, in the moment for sure. And then for about 24 hours afterwards, uh, yeah. we're all capable of that, but it's just, it, you know, again, I get back to intentionality. If like, if it's part of your agenda as a human being, not to allow yourself to get away with going with yourself, you do get better at teasing out that voice you can trust. And when I say it's always right, I, I mean, it's always right. <laughs> like you, a part of you always knows what to do. And, yeah. and, and so, you know, if there's a voice telling you to just chill for a minute, like sometimes that's not laziness. It's because you do need to chill and that part of you knows it. Um, yeah. You know, there's a time for everything. Yeah. Um, Matt, you, you know, you, you're a, a wealth of knowledge. I think what I've really got from this is how in tune you are with yourself and that um, hopefully people listening to, can, can start to, you know, be inspired by that and tune into themselves because that's so important. And that's what I've taken from this. Um, uh, is there anything that you'd like to just highlight before we wrap things up, you know, um, uh, point anyone in any certain direction with your social media or anything like that, or, you know, shout anyone out or anything? <laughs> Well, uh, I mean, my publisher would probably appreciate my, again, uh, mentioning my, my, my new book, uh, yeah. The Comeback Quotient. Uh, the subtitle of that one is A Get Real Guide to Building Mental Fitness in Sport and Life. So, I mean, actually, you know, a lot of the, the themes that we touched on in our conversation are, I go into greater depth uh, on them in there. And, and if uh, my, my personal website is mattfitzgerald.org, so you can learn more about that book and others and 80 20 endurance and whatever else uh yeah. right there oh man that's um cool well hey matt um thanks for coming on the podcast and um uh i hope in the future we can get you back on and maybe focus on just one of your books because this is you and all about uh, quite broad actually but we could like come back and it would be a, it, a, awesome to go through the books one by one you know Right on. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Guys, thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. And I really do appreciate it. Again, if you'd like to uh, share the show or subscribe or even leave a a review, that would be much appreciated. Okay, have a great day. And I'll be back next week with another new guest.